I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Ian Mendes alongside Haley Salvian. Coming up this episode, we'll talk about who should be getting more love from the hockey world. The Carolina Hurricanes, maybe it's the New York Islanders. Eric Carlson with some interesting comments over the weekend in San Jose about the direction of the Sharks. Our draft and prospects expert, Corey Pronman, drops by to chat about some young players who could be on the move before the deadline, as well as maybe a little sneak peek ahead to the 2021 NHL draft. As always, we'll wrap up the podcast with Multiple Choice Madness and we'll open up the hail bag. But before we get to this podcast, we do want to remind you, this feels good because it's back. March Madness is back and uh, starting Tuesday, March the 16th, the Athletics College Basketball Crew will bring you the Ding You presented by Bet MGM. They'll cover all of the action, both on the court and at the sports book, grabbing insight from all of our athletic college basketball writers, picking the brains of Bet MGM's top bookmakers. And a reminder too, don't miss our tournament preview show streaming live on the Daily Ding YouTube page that comes up on Tuesday, March the 16th at 1 Eastern time. You can also hit them up on the Daily Ding's feed wherever you get your podcast shortly after their streaming. So that that brings us to the obvious question, does Haley Salvian, because remember last year there was no March Madness, Haley. Does Haley Salvian have a bracket picked out for March Madness? 
I don't yet. I have to get on that. Um, every year it takes me like a week to do my bracket. Um, I don't know. I'm just that, or like, I don't know. I think there's two kinds of people. There's the people who research, they do all the stuff. They've got the crazy big whiteboard to have the most elite bracket ever. Um, and then there's the people who wing it. Um, and then I guess there's also the people who do like seven brackets to just like throw as many things at the wall. Uh, I think I'm the, you know, I want to be the first one, but I'm just the second. I say I'm going to prep and I'm going to have this awesome bracket. And then I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm just going to scribble some stuff in here. Uh, and it's going to get, cause it's going to get busted regardless. I'm sorry. Like don't waste a week doing prep when someone's going to screw up your entire thing within a week. So. I do love March Madness, though, so I'm very excited that that we get to watch it. And obviously, we just hope that everyone's able to stay safe and healthy. But, uh, you know, it, it'll be nice to, to have that back. Yeah, it kind of feels like life is sort of returning uh, returning to normal. Touch wood. Didn't have it last year. And, okay, I also got to ask you one other thing before we get into the show today, okay? I'm going to list off a bunch of things here, Haley. You tell me uh, what they have in common, okay? These are going to be titles okay. for you, okay? Okay. Sound of Metal. No Man Land, The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Father, Mank, Promising Young Woman, and Minari. Any idea what those things are? Are they all on Netflix? (laughs) They were all nominated yesterday for Best Picture uh, for the Oscars for 2021. And it got me thinking, I don't think I saw a movie in the theater. In twenty, did you do you do you know any of these movies that's up that I are up only, for an Oscar? The only reason I said Netflix is because I've seen the <laughs> trial of the Chicago Seven on Netflix, and I think I've heard of Metal. Yeah. At first, when you were saying Metal, I thought it was like ooh, <laughs> the periodic table, <laughs> like something stupid. <laughs> but no, um, yeah. it's a like at the Golden Globes and stuff. If it wasn't for the TV shows that were nominated at the Golden Globes, I wouldn't have known what anything was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no idea of, I have not seen any of these movies that got me thinking, I don't think I really saw any movies in the theater in, in 2020. Now I need to know as well, because there's a little bit of an age gap between the two of us. I need to know what is Haley <laughs> Salvian's all time favorite hockey movie? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, Slapshot's obviously a classic, but if I'm talking like good, sit down, like watch this, it's actually kind of a good movie. Like I'm super into Mystery Alaska. I think that's a great hockey movie. My dad loves that movie. So why are you laughing? That's I'm, a good movie. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the obligatory answer for for a guy like people my age is Slapshot, and I never yeah. watched Slapshot until about eighteen months ago. I went my entire really? life without watching Slapshot, and now I'm going to say something very unpopular. You I, didn't like it. It was overrated. I think if I you waited like yeah, thirty years to watch it, I know I waited <laughs> until I was too long, and then but you know what? I rewatched the Mighty Ducks uh, with my daughter like about a year ago. Mm-hmm. That might be like the original Mighty Ducks might be my yeah. favorite hockey movie of all time. Yeah, I had the I had the movies when I was a kid and. The Anaheim, or the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim was my first like favorite hockey team growing up because I loved the movie and I thought the duck was 
you know, ducks are cute. I was also a Penguins fan. The sharks were cool. Like all the animals, that's typical kid. You see like a, an animal mascot and you're like, that's my favorite hockey team. They end up being pretty decent teams, but no, Mighty Ducks is a, that's a classic, that's a classic film. So hold up. But, As a kid, you cheered for like 10% of the league? Like you just mentioned the ducks, <laughs> the penguins, the sharks. I think It was you- mostly ducks and penguins, <laughs> but <laughs> the sharks were also involved. <laughs> okay, wait. Were you a Chris Kunitz fan then growing up? He played for the, the ducks and the penguins. I mean, yeah, like. And I was, but I wasn't like a super young kid, but I was obviously a big fan of Chris Kunitz when he played for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Uh, especially like the Stanley Cup Chris Kunitz. Yeah, that guy's, he's got four Stanley Cup rings, I think, doesn't he? Or three, anyway, whatever he's got, three or four rings. He's been a big, uh, yeah. that guy wins wherever he, he uh, wherever he goes. All right, on to gold medal. And a gold medal, too. Yeah, people forget yeah. about that. He's, uh, he had great chemistry with Sid, uh, Sid Crosby. So, Let's look at uh, some of the stories kind of brewing this week, Haley. And the first team, I think if you had said this at the start of the season, you get to pick the first team that's going to get to 20 wins. Who would you take? I think a lot of people would take Tampa or maybe Boston or, you know, Vegas, St. Louis, whatever, Colorado. I don't know how many people would have taken the Carolina Hurricanes. Haley, as we roll into the middle of March, is it time to elevate the Carolina Hurricanes into that upper tier? And yes, let's all admit, they're a legit Stanley Cup contender who deserve a lot more love from the hockey world. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing I'll say with this is I'm not sure, like, where the Carolina Hurricanes, like, non-loving is coming from because, like, Ian, we do our power rankings with the company. Um, I'm pretty sure the Canes have usually been up at the top. They've been so on mine when I'm doing the power rankings. So it is weird to me because I see the discourse all the time of people saying, like, when are the Carolina Hurricanes going to get some love and attention? Um, And I don't know if that's just because people are comparing, you know, when the Leafs are number one in the league to when the Canes are number one in the league. In that case, I can understand it because – you know, there's probably still going to be more about the Toronto Maple Leafs on all of the shows here in Canada. There's going to be, even though they lost, um, I mean, especially because they lost, that's going to be all what's wrong with the Leafs, what's going on, how they lose to the Sens. Um, but it is interesting to see the difference in, in coverage for, you know, a team like Toronto, who was first in the league for quite a while, and now the Canes are there. Um, I think they are a great hockey team. I think they got a lot of great pieces. Um, you know, I saw Dougie Hamilton had a multi-point game the other night. Um, you know, I think there was questions about their goaltending, you know, every off season when I'm reading like Sarah Sivian stuff, you know, she, you know, she's talked about their goaltending picture. I think they have a great coach in Rod Brindamore, obviously. And, you know, they just have a good mix, um, of forwards, their defense. I just, I don't know if there's something that I would look at the Canes and say, like, they absolutely need to fix this or they're not going to be successful. Um, I just think they're a good hockey team. Um, And I think me personally, I've always thought that. I think um, the general public, maybe uh, if we're talking about how they need to get more love, obviously they should because they are a good hockey team and um, they're pretty fun too. Like Sebastian Ajo, Andrei Svechnikov, like those are really fun players to watch play hockey. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the Canes are definitely 
obviously one of the top teams in leagues. They're now sitting at first overall and they their first of 20 wins, like you said. Yeah. And, you know, Vincent Trocek, I think, has had a wonderful, I know he's a little bit banged up right now, but uh, wonderful renaissance season. Jordan Stahl, like, he's, yeah. th- you know how you want to, uh, how I feel Penguins. old is yeah. Jordan Stahl <laughs> is 32 years old. Like that makes me feel old. I remember when he broke in as a teenager and he was so good for those Penguins teams in the, uh, in, in those kind of early Sidney Crosby years, he was this wonderful mm-hmm. complimentary uh, third line center. And he's been great. The yeah. one thing I look at though, Haley, maybe I'll disagree with you a little bit on this. I'm not sold on the goaltending and I know Mrazek has been out yeah. for a while. And I, I think James Reimer is one of the best human beings in the game. And his his record, I think he's twelve and three. So if you look at it from that perspective, he's been winning. But you look mm-hmm. at the underlying numbers, the quality starts, and more importantly, the save. He's just giving you league average save percentage. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you are the Carolina Hurricanes, would you look at this and say, do we feel comfortable that Morazic will be healthy in the regu- in, at the end of the regular season in the playoffs? Do we feel comfortable enough? Like we have built a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Yeah. Are we comfortable enough with Reimer and Morazic being our guys? I I don't know. Uh, yeah, and th- like when I say I don't know if there's like one single thing that I can point to, like obviously like the only one would be goaltending. Yeah. Um, as you said, because it's, you know, I think the Carolina Hurricanes, like that's an example of, you know, I don't know if they're kind of going for like a 1A, 1B tandem. I don't think it's really like that. It's a little bit more like their starter and their backup, but with Mrazic out. Um, but again, they're still winning. Um, but let me ask you this, Ian. Would you rather have an elite goaltender who is putting the Band-Aid over the issues on your team on the ice on a nightly basis, or would you rather have a league average goaltender who's getting it done for your elite team in front of you? Oh, like, man. What would you rather have? Oh, it's such a good question because I think I tend to say I'd rather have the elite team with a with a goalie that can hopefully get it done. And I think you look at like St. Louis when they won the cup with uh, Jordan Bennington, it wasn't like they had this, un- like you, if you play the right way and you play properly, I think it's not like it used to be 20 years ago where you're only winning the cup if you've got like this Patrick Waugh, Ed Belfort, yeah. Dominic Hasek. I think you can win with really good, like good goaltending. Like, so if you're asking me, would I rather have a guy, like a team with an all world goalie, but like just a so so team or a so so goalie in the all world team? Give me the all world team. But mm-hmm. when you're Carolina and you're sitting here, in this spot, I think they're going to, this is going to be really fascinating because the other thing is, I don't even know what goalies we would, like I've seen Devin Dubnik's name thrown out there, but like, I don't even know what you could do at the deadline that would, you would say that, yep, that's a significant upgrade unless, unless you can, I don't think Marc-Andre Fleury, he's not going anywhere now, right? Like, I don't know what you could potentially do uh, to improve your team at the deadline in goal. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, our colleague Pierre Lebrun did a story um, you know, just looking at some of the pieces that uh, six contenders could add to the add to the team to to help them try to win. And one of the ones that was interesting, obviously, because I do cover the Calgary Flames, was that he was suggesting that David Riddick would be a good fit in Washington because the Capitals they're in this really tight win now window. They still think that. Um, their goaltender right now, uh, Ilya Samsonov. They still think that he is their goalie of the future. Um, 
but he has struggled a bit as late. So Pierre Lebrun was saying that if the Calgary Flames cannot make it um, back into the playoffs under Daryl Sutter, David Riddick would be a great fit for the Capitals. Um, I don't know if many would call Riddick a, an upgrade over Mrazek or Reimer. I'm, I'm sure you could make the argument for for maybe Riddick over James Reimer, maybe not the way that Reimer is playing right now. Um, but, you know, that's always an interesting one because Dave Riddick is a UFA next season um, or this offseason, excuse me. So, you know, if he's a good fit in Washington, maybe there's something there. But I feel like if you're giving up assets to to swap goalies or, you know, trade for one goalie, whatever it may be, it, I think it needs to be a clear, you know, upgrade to to make that move. So I just don't know if the fit is – as there in Carolina as it would be uh, maybe in Washington. Yeah, and you know, one of the names that's been tossed out is uh, is Devin Dubnik in in San Jose, and the reason why Devin Dubnik name is out there Haley is because the Sharks are underachieving once again. Remember, this was a team that has it, this will be the first time if they miss the playoffs, which it looks like they're going to, Haley. This will be the first time since the mid-90s. San Jose has missed the playoffs in consecutive years. Like this has been an unbelievable run. Like fans in Northern California have been super spoiled. And I I think they realize that like this has been an unbelievable run of 20, basically 20 years where you were a playoff team, but it looks like it's coming to an end. And Eric Carlson on the weekend had some interesting comments where uh, I'll read the quote here. Carlson spoke to the media Saturday, Haley. And this is the comment that is certainly generating a lot of discussion around the hockey world. It, it uh, Carlson says, quote, obviously I did not sign here to go through a rebuild or go through what I did for 10 years in Ottawa, but it is what it is. I think we need to find a way to build with a core group that we have here and figure out a way to be competitive here in the upcoming years. So Eric Carlson says, I didn't sign up here to go through a rebuild. Remember, he gets the eight-year, $92 million contract uh, a couple of summers ago. So he's getting an $11.5 million cap hit. There's some people who are looking at this, Haley, saying Carlson is deflecting. Like Carlson should be accepting responsibility for where they're at rather than saying, I didn't sign up for this. There's probably a little bit of truth in on, on both sides. But wh- I mean, wh- what did you make of Eric Carlson saying what he did on the weekend? Yeah, I mean, the one thing when I first read those quotes is I would love to know, you know, exactly the context of a conversation like that. You know, like what was the question that was posed to Eric Carlson to elicit that kind of response? I'm always kind of curious about that side of things. Um, But I mean, I don't, I think my initial reaction, it's, this is a really tough one because this is a guy who was clearly an elite, elite defenseman in the National Hockey League for for many years with the Ottawa Senators. You covered him. You can probably speak to that more than I can. Um, but then, you know, he he gets traded to San Jose. He signs that massive contract extension. He, I mean, the last two seasons, he only played half the year. Uh, now he has two goals, nine points in 21 games. Like if you're the San Jose Sharks and you're reading that quote, you're saying like, okay, well, what are you doing to help us not be a rebuilder? Because we just shelled out millions of dollars for an elite defenseman that we believed would help us contend and you're not. 
So I think if you're the Sharks, you're looking at that and saying, okay, well, you're a cornerstone piece here and we're not winning. So maybe there's something you can do to help us win. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and, and, and like, you talk to, to people in San Jose, they, like, they're saying he's playing a little bit better here in the month of March. But uh, I yes, mean, I've prob- seen that. Probably not to the level of uh, 11 and a half. Here's what I, I look at San Jose, Haley, and I think, oh no, like they are, they are <laughs> potentially in for some painful years because when you look at their cap situation, the following guys who are all over the age of 30 are locked into multi-year deals, okay? Carlson's 30. He's got, you know, basically six more years at 11.5 million. Brent Burns is 36. You got four more years after this at 8 million. Mark Edward Vlasic, he's 33. You got four more years of, sorry, five more years of Vlasic at 7 million. So if you think about it, that's 26 million tied up amongst those three defensemen for the next four or five years. Uh, Martin Jones is 31. He's been underperforming three more years at a hair under 6 million. Logan Couture, he's 31. He's probably the one who's who's playing up to his contract. But you got him at 8 million for another, uh, you know, five years. So this is the issue. I don't know what you can do. Like at, Eric Carlson yeah. said, look, we got to figure this out. And remember his first year in San Jose, they got to the conference final. So it's not like mm-hmm. they've been a mess the whole time, but I don't see how they get this done and they turn this around. I feel like they're going to be the most handcuffed team in a flat cap world is going to be San Jose. Yeah. Well, cause how are you going to offload those contracts, especially with, you know, it's not just the cap hit, it's the cap hit, it's the age, it's the on-ice performance. It's it's not a great combination. The one thing I will say um, on, you know, Eric Carlson's kind of side of things, and maybe you can touch on this too, Ian, but the one thing I will say is, like, when you – the your UFA years are obviously a really big thing. Like, we've seen so many times in free agency, guys are saying, I'm going to test the waters. You only get to be – you know, some guys only get to be a UFA once, and that's the kind of opportunity for players to pick and choose the situation that they want to be in. They play through all those years under team control to get to their UFA years. Um, that's why we see in arbitration things like, oh, you know, I think last year, you know, Connor Brown it was one year away from a UFA, so the conversation was like, you have to buy his UFA years from him because those are incredibly valuable. So when if you're Eric Carlson – and you're an unrestricted free agent, and you're saying, like, where do I want to lock in? Like, he has, you know, he paid his dues. He had some amazing seasons in the National Hockey League. I think a guy like Eric Carlson, like I say, be better, but at the same time, from what he put in, in his first 10 years in Ottawa, like, I think he's allowed to choose, this is the situation I want to be in now. I'm, However age I've put in all this time, I did all of this in the National Hockey League. Now I want to go and do this. And he's a UFA, so he has the right to do that. So what, I, I I say be better, but I kind of get it at the same time. Like it's a, it's a tricky one for me. Yeah, and it's it's one of those situations where I just don't, I don't know how they're going to be better. Like there's a team that could use some above average goaltending, right, to maybe mm-hmm. uh, bail them out. But I I I don't know. I mean, San Jose fans, I think, have been, and I feel bad for them because they they were kind of like the Washington Capitals for a long time, on the precipice of winning a Stanley Cup, and for them, it never came to fruition. And now, at least mm-hmm. if you're a Capitals fan, you got your cup right in that in that window. Uh, you never got that in San Jose. So this is going to be a painful stretch coming up for them. And I think, Ailey, like, so the, the Carlson comments 
were kind of inflammatory on the weekend. Late last week, we had John Tortorella, Patrick Line 2.0. This is the second time now in Line's short time in Columbus that there's been a benching or a uh, kind of a diminishing uh, or his ice time getting diminished. They're playing Florida. Line gets stapled to the bench back half of the game. After the game, Line says, I thought I was playing good. I guess I thought wrong. Tortorella the next day said, is it a benching? No, I didn't bench anybody last night. I just decided to play other people in situations late in the third period that I felt more comfortable with at the time. Now, that's a fancy way of saying I benched uh, Patrick Line. <laughs> but again, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this doesn't feel like a marriage or relationship, John Tortorella and Patrick Line, that is headed for a, uh, a, a successful conclusion here, right? Yeah, I think, you know, it's not abnormal for a coach to shorten the bench. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't always have a keen eye on, on what's happening in Columbus. Like I'll obviously admit that because it is so busy when, when you're on your beat full time. But I mean, I think a lot of people think it's easy to just point the finger at John Tortorella, but what is Patrick Line doing? Like, if a coach is shortening, because that's, I'm sorry, like it, the coach is shortening the bench. It happens all the time. It happens here in Calgary. Like there's been games where Dylan Dubé, who's a 22 year old, um, who's supposed to be one of the next core pieces. He's, he was benched before Sam Bennett's been benched and it's, you know, sometimes you can look at the coach and say, what are you doing? But at the same time, you have to look at the player and say, what are you doing to be benched? Not once, but twice. There's two common denominators here because it's not like Patrick Line didn't have a weird situation in Winnipeg either. Like this isn't just a John Tortorella's pulling his crap again. <laughs> like I think there's I think there's two sides to this and you know I would love to see somebody, you know, kind of dig in. Maybe we could have someone like Aaron Portsline. Um I know Eric Dehashik had a had a column about it last week. Like, I think it'd be nice to hear from somebody with their boots on the ground in Columbus to say like, what's actually going on here. And cause it, it, it has to be a two-sided thing for me. I just, I can't look at John Tortorella and say, this is all his fault. I just thought it was amazing. Like benching line a in overtime was really a message, right? Like, cause to me, Patrick line a is, a, a, the type of guy you'd want on the ice in an overtime, right? In a three-on-three, -three, like he's got a lethal shot. So to not put him in there, it's a it's a statement, mm -hmm. I think, from from yeah. John Tortorella. I just I think this is going to be a really interesting situation. Line is a pending, he, right? He's got to figure out his contract and where he's going to be um, down the road. Uh, this yeah. is going to be an interesting, interesting situation. I feel like Columbus has become like. A lot. Buffalo probably takes the cake this season as the most interesting team or soap opera. But boy, I feel like Columbus mm -hmm. is right there this season with some yeah. of these juicy storylines. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's always interesting, you know, to kind of compare what you were thinking about certain teams before the season started to now. Um, the one thing, you know, I just, was just scrolling through Eric's piece that I think is really interesting that he brought up when we're talking about this line A and Tortorella situation is that, you know, as we know that. Patrick Line can be, you know, a pretty streaky scorer. Um, and what Eric said is the one thing that his former coach in Winnipeg, Paul Maurice, did 
was that he would let Line play through his slumps, assuming at some point he would emerge from them, regain his confidence, um, and then go, go on a big goal-scoring surge. That's how Paul Maurice treated Line. Whereas Tortorella has a more of like an old-fashioned merit system where it's if you're in a slump and you can't play through it right now, you're on the bench because there's guys who are playing better than you. It's a, you know, a player in a bad patch instead of saying like, yeah, let's just keep throwing you out there. He's going to say, no, you can, you know, I'm going to play the guy who's actually going to score on this shift. Um, so it's two very different ways of handling, you know, a star player. And it will be very interesting to see how this plays out because, yeah, that's just, you know, letting him play through it and parking him on the bench are two very different ways of, of handling a streaky elite goal scorer. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Haley, uh, this is uh, great for us and great for our listeners in the podcast today. We've got our senior writer at The Athletic uh, in charge of NHL prospects. He's kind of our, uh, you know, NHL draft and prospects guru. He's Corey Pronman. Corey, welcome to The Athletic Hockey Show. My friend, how are you on this uh, on this Monday? Hi, Ian. Hi, Haley. Uh, good to see you again, although I do hate the word yeah. guru. But, <laughs> um, uh, would never call myself that, but... Um, but I appreciate you guys having me Way on. Way to start on a good note. <laughs> yeah, you don't want guru. What do you, what do you want? Just senior writer expert. is fine. Expert. <laughs> prospects expert. Okay. Well, prospects hey, writer. Prospects expert. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know that your article last week, it certainly resonated uh, north of the border in, in my market, but I know that on both coasts in uh, Los Angeles and New York, there was a lot of traction, Corey, on your piece looking back at the 2020 NHL draft and kind of looking at Timmy Stutzla versus Quinton Byfield versus Alexis Lafreniere. So why don't you walk through for our listeners, if you had the opportunity to redraft now, how would it how would it look uh, here in uh, in 2021? I still think Lafreniere would would go first, but I think where where it would change is, and and Ian and Haley would be very familiar with this because when Haley was covering Ottawa for the, for the most part of the draft season, um, which actually was through the draft season if I recall, um, the the debate was around who should go to. Should it be Quinton Byfield? Should it be Tim Stutzla? And now I think if you, given how well Stutzla has played this season and how Lafreniere and Byfield have not really had great seasons, both in the NHL and the and the American League, uh, respectively, for the two of them, um, and just not just not only that Stutzla's performing well, but he, he really looks the part. Like you watch Ottawa's games, and this is not a guy just getting a lot of secondary assists and not really looking like a factor. He looks like a real factor 
uh, in their offense uh, with his skating and his skill. I think there will be a real debate at whether you take Lafreniere or Stutzla first overall. Um, I would still lean towards Lafreniere uh, because I still think there's just so much skill there. And his track record is so elite for such a long period of time that I think you have to at least respect that and and think that there is a really strong probability that he's going to turn around once he adjusts to the pace of the game, um, given that his his skating is is not the best. And that's usually a big adjustment for guys going to the NHL from junior if they're not elite skaters, like a guy like Stutzler would be. Um, But yeah, I think there would be a real debate between those two at the first pick, and then I would have Byfield still as, as the third best player in the draft. Interesting. I mean, what is it about Tim, and you did just touch on it, but what is it about Tim Stutzla that is translating so well? Is it his skating and his vision that we're at an elite level that's allowing him to, you know, have such a smooth transition into the league with the Senators? I just think he has just like so many real good NHL qualities. I, I look at a guy who is, you know, a real high-end NHL skater. I also see a guy with NHL caliber skill, NHL, NHL caliber playmaking. I think he he works hard. He's not just he's not just a power play guy. He generates even strength because he's able to, you know, even for a guy that age, not winning every battle, but he's he can win battles. He can create turnovers with his speed and his hustle. Um, and he's able to make these really highly skilled plays uh, while playing fast and on the move, which are the kind of things scouts look for when trying to guess if a guy's going to translate to the NHL. Being able to play fast is uh, is really up there in terms of the priority list. And I think you look at all those attributes combined, and it's tr- translated into a guy who looks like right now a top six forward of the NHL and a guy you think going forward as he continues to develop, can become a true NHL star. You know, last year, Corey, heading into the 2020 draft, I think there was uh, quite a book on Lafreniere, Stutzla, Byfield, etc. People kind of knew them, and it feels like the draft class in 2021 has a little more anonymity to it. And I think part of that is because we haven't seen a lot of uh, whether, you know, there was a delayed start for whether it's juniors or the NCAA. And I'm wondering... From your perspective, how hard it has been to try and figure out who are going to be the top three or four or five picks in this year's draft, given the weird circumstances that we've seen in uh, in uh, those levels of hockey this year? Yep, that's a completely, a completely fair question. Uh, I would say even coming into this season, because I can't say I, I focus too much on the underagers in a, in a typical draft year, but you, you have an eye on them and you, you at least are following the top top guys for next year at least in the corner of your eye or usually they sometimes they'll just pop out to you because they're playing up age levels and you you can't avoid them um you knew kind of knew coming into this year it was going to be a little unclear there was a you know there wasn't a top top guy like a jack hughes or a lefrenier going into the year uh that there was going to be a little it was going to be a little noisier uh the circumstances of the seasons across the world have, have have made that harder uh, without question, but you know most of the guys have still had most of the top guys, anyways, have had some semblance of a season. Like the United States national team program has played an entire season. College hockey's played an entire season. Europe has played most of an entire season. Uh, the Q's have had about a half season. It's obviously just the Dub and and the, and the O uh, that haven't had traditional seasons. Um, I think one reason why it's an unfamiliar crop to probably a lot of just typical hockey fans is there weren't 
A lot of the top guys were not at the World Juniors. The only one who was there was Matthew Beneers, uh, who plays at Michigan. Uh, you know, uh, Owen Power wasn't wasn't there, uh, who also plays at Michigan. Ken Johnson wasn't there. Uh, William Eklund was supposed to be there, but he had a, he had a positive COVID test, so he wasn't able to go. Uh, Luke Hughes wasn't it wasn't there. Uh, Dylan Genther, Brian Clark weren't there. So a lot Simon Evanson, a lot of the top top prospects for this year were not at the World Juniors. So I think that leads a little bit to the. You know, the average fan may not be familiar with what these players look like, how they play. Because, like, you know, Lafreniere, Stutzel, Byfield, for example, all were at last year's tournament, as was Jamie Drysdale and Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz. Um, you know, so I think that plays into it. In terms of for my job, it it hasn't really changed that much other than I haven't done as much live viewings as I would in a typical year. I've tried to see the USA guys uh, a little bit because I, I live in the United States and I'm allowed to travel. You know, we, we, you know, obviously I haven't done that that much just due to, you know, safe, you know, being precautious. Uh, but I, I've seen those guys, you know, a little bit. And uh, but and for the other guys, you just a lot of video work. And, and I've seen them before in, in previous years. Uh, so my job hasn't really changed that much. But it, there's definitely less information. And trying to put the picture together is less clear. I could talk to a couple of teams and they'll have different guys in the top three and different, you know, different names in their top three, different names in their top five, um, which isn't abnormal. But there's definitely a little bit more variance. Like, like I said, it's good. It was going to be a noisy year regardless. But you typically don't enter a draft where I can call five or six different NHL scouts and they'll all have a different guy at first overall. That's uh, typically abnormal. You mentioned a couple players there, Corey and Alex Holtz and Lucas Raymond, just going back to the last draft class and your viewings of, you know, these players who were in that top 10 or the first round, whatever it may be of the 2020 draft. um, Would you still call that, you know, a really deep draft class? I know there was a lot of storylines about how it was a really deep uh, top 10, really great first round. Um, Would you still say that in hindsight? I wouldn't, and I never really actually said that. I've I kind yeah. of maintained going into the year that it was an average draft class, and I haven't seen anything mm-hmm. since then to, to change my opinion. I think most draft classes are average. Uh, to be to be quite honest, they there there's usually isn't that big a discrepancy. Every now and then you have a 2012 or a 2015 that that looks abnormal, but uh, I I think you're safe to assume it's going to be average, and I think that one does look that way. I mean, you you look at the guys in the top ten that year. Obviously, Rossi's. Um, had health issues, so he hasn't really had a chance to have a real season. You know, I can't say, you know, I think, you know, Perfetti is a great player. I think Jack Quinn's a great player. So it's so Holtz and Sanderson and Raymond, but I can't say any of those guys are having unbelievable, like, this guy looks like a no-doubt star. You know, J.B. Drysdale's season has been really, really impressive. Uh, so he's, his how he's done in San Diego uh, has been intriguing, how Seth Jarvis and Dylan Holloway have done. I mean, there's going to be really good players in, in, in the top of the draft, just that's that's usually how it works. I can't say that this looks like you know this you know this was another two thousand three or two thousand fifteen. I I can't say at least the early indicators show that, but there you know all these guys are going to be likely going to be good, if not very good players for their NHL clubs. You know, Corey, we're kind of getting into that window, closing in on the trade deadline, and so much of the way that we view the National Hockey League in the next few weeks is through that lens of 
uh, the trade deadline. There's also the added complication of a expansion draft on the horizon. So I just want to, we want to pick your brain a little bit about maybe some organizations that you think maybe they might be active in and around the trade deadline. Maybe they've got a, a surplus of prospects that they might be an intriguing team uh, to, to, to knock on their door. Uh, is there any organizations that you look at that you think, you know what, that I could see them being pretty active in and around the trade deadline in, in making some moves involving some of their younger players? I think Carolina is one that stands out to definitely a few clubs I've talked to um, just because they have a deep NHL roster. Uh, they've had, a, you know, for the last couple of years, their American League team has actually been quite good, not just on the backs of veterans, but on, on young players. And, and they're going to be forced into, into some decisions on guys who have helped their team this year and guys like a Jake Beaner or, or Morgan Geeky, um, not guys that I would say are, you, you know, can't miss like, top NHL players, but they look like good prospects, particularly Jake Bean. Um, and so I think they're going to be one that'll be interesting to see kind of how they navigate uh, the trade deadline and how that sets them up for the expansion draft. Because uh, a lot of NHL clubs understand that I've talked to, you approach the trade deadline with the expansion draft in mind um, because they, they kind of, they're going to go hand in hand for you um, in terms of how, how your roster is going to be set up. So they're one that you're going to be looking at. Obviously, Buffalo is one people are, are, are watching right now uh, in a different situation than Carolina where they have too many good players. Buffalo doesn't have enough good players, uh, but Buffalo seems to be one who are trying to to change some things up. So you look at that and you wonder, you know, does, does, is Casey Middlestaff part of their future? Is Tage Thompson part of their future there? Uh, th- those are some questions that I think will be interesting in, in their direction. And, and Florida is also one that I think people have their eye on. Um, that one of their, you know, their first round picks from a couple of years ago, Henrik Borstrom is not even in the organization anymore. He's playing in Finland, uh, so that's one I think people expect uh, could be moved sometime in the next couple of weeks. It's maybe not as like a major, major like uh, asset, but as somebody who could, who seems like is like the classic change of scenery type. Um, and at some point here, Florida's going to need to have to, you know, set a direction on how they're going to uh, address the the goaltending in their farm system with with top prospect Spencer Knight coming up and them having signed a very expensive goalie for a very long time and and Sergei Bobrovsky. So Corey, looking at, um, you know, some of the players right now, rookies in the National Hockey League, who has been most impressive to you either from just a straight skill standpoint or a pleasant surprise kind of view? From what I saw of them in the American League, I did not, and and this position could be a little chaotic, so I say this with the caveats. I did not think that both Cabo Kakenen with Minnesota and Kevin Lankinen with Chicago would would be this good in the NHL this quickly, where they have both been among the top goalies in the league this season. And and I guess, and I said that caveat before because it's important that you know, goalies go through those chaotic 10, 20 game swings. Uh, they were, you know, and maybe both of them are legitimate great players, you know, or, you know, you, you saw, you know, sometimes guys come in the league and they have a little bit of a hot spot and they'll, they'll cool off. All, all goalies can kind of go through those swings. Um, I like both of those players. I can't say when I've watched them, um, even when I've watched them in the NHL this season that I've been like, yeah, no, it's like this guy's like an elite athlete, uh, has all the attributes, you know, I, I completely missed on something here. Um Probably could have rated both of them a little bit higher in their respective farm systems, given what they've shown. You know, it's not not easy to do what they've been doing, where they've been almost winning games for their team single-handedly some nights. Uh, you know, then that's valuable. 
I see. I think they're both really intelligent goaltenders, and they seem like they could have some NHL futures here. Um, I didn't when I saw them in both in, in the league. I didn't think either of them were in the American League. That is, I didn't think either of them were like elite athletes in terms of like this the size quickness profile. Um, so you know maybe they're for real. Maybe you know maybe they're all, you know I look at a guy like Jordan Binnington who I thought had a similar athletic profile coming up, and obviously he was amazing and you know led for the, led, helped the Blues win a championship and got a big money contract recently, but make, probably arguably hasn't been quite as good recently too. Uh, goalies can be very hard to evaluate. I mean, you look at, you know, a guy like, like Hart in, in Philadelphia and, uh, you know, those are, those, you, you really ride the wave with, with goalies sometimes. Uh, and I know it's why it makes talent evaluators I talk to nervous when it comes to, to, to signing them, drafting them, you know, trying to acquire them by, by trade or free agency. Um, I mentioned just Bobrovsky before, you know, he's, Probably caused a little bit of anxiety there in Florida since since that signing. Goalies can be really, really difficult to evaluate. The only time I have evaluated a goaltender on my own, and I am going to wear this like a badge of honor, was Joey Decord. I watched him play against the Marlies on Boxing Day, uh, I guess almost, I guess it was two years ago now because the way that the seasons have kind of gone. But I remember writing a story after that and saying, Joey Decord is going to climb the goalie ranks for the Ottawa Senators. And he got his first NHL win yesterday. So that's my like, look at me. I was right once. You, you got to bump, you got to bump that story. <laughs> and yeah. you know, he's a guy who I, who I watched in American League. And I thought the same thing as I thought, thought with the other two, like not that big, not that yeah. quick, just nice little stable, smart goalie. Not an NHL goalie. That's what I thought when I watched him in the American League. I still kind of think that from what I've seen this season. Like, you know, Ottawa, just, and I all respect to what he did yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm not convinced that he's a legitimate NHL goaltender quite yet. But again, it's, it's a difficult position to, uh, to assess. Yeah. Uh, you know, seems like a nice kid. So hope, hope the best for him. Uh, hey, listen, before we let you go, Corey, we have a, a I'm going to open up our mailbag a little later in the show, but we do have a question here that I actually, I think I might appreciate your perspective on this more than uh, what, what Haley and I would offer. And that is, we got a, a, a tweet in here from Al and Al says, do you think that uh, Kirill Kaprizov's age, and he's going to be turning 24 next month, should that affect the number of votes he gets for the Calder Trophy? even though he's technically uh, eligible for it. And I guess you look at a guy like Tim Stutzle, he's a teenager, Kaprizov is going to turn 24. Should that have any impact, uh, Corey, as, as you look at the, the Calder race? No. I mean, if you look at the definition of the award, it says, you know, I think the exact wording, wording of the award is uh, the re- player who was considered the most, I think the word is proficient in his first, in his first season doesn't say the best age-adjusted season. It doesn't say the best prospect. That, that's always the word I've used for this award. It's not the best prospect award. It's the best it's the best rookie award. Doesn't, you know, and if you don't like the definition, you can you can, you know, lobby the NHL to change it. You can t- you can annoy your your favorite media members to 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 write about or say how the award definition should be changed, but as the award is written right now, it is not a best prospect award. Um, so it's, I, I would take, you know, I think Kaprizov's a great player, you know, which you, know, you probably could argue he's equivalent level prospect to, to Stutzel, but quite honestly, um, but although I probably would lean Stutzel still at this moment, um, but uh, yeah, no, it wouldn't, shouldn't affect the votes. It, 
it's just not uh it's not what the NHL has directed the voters to uh, consider. Well said. I knew I knew you would have a a terrific perspective on that. Hey, Corey, thanks for taking a, a few minutes here to to join Haley and I in the podcast. We really uh, truly appreciated your time and your insight. Enjoy the week, and uh, listen, we'd love to get you again down the road. Yep, sure thing. Thanks, guys. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, that was terrific stuff, Haley, with uh, Corey Promen. All I can think about, too, is when Corey said at the end of that interview, Haley, he's like, if you have a problem with it, take it up with the NHL. Would you uh, Would you not love to do a story on if the NHL allowed us, we could get all of the, the – we could access the voicemails and the letters and the emails that are sent to the league from random fans complaining about things. Wouldn't you love to do that story? Yes and no, um, because I'm like afraid of what we would <laughs> see there. Like, I don't know. Because I mean, here in Calgary on Sportsnet uh, 960, the fan, they do a post game show called Overtime, I think. I've tuned in a few times and it's like when the flames were bad, like it was like really angry people calling in and just like unloading. And like the poor radio host is just like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like just taking live calls from angry fans. So if they're getting angry about like just the flames, I can only imagine what some fans have sent into the like oh. National Hockey League. Yeah, like conspiracy <laughs> theories and like this is oh, how man. you can fix the league. Like I'd be all in. I'd also the other story I've always wanted to do is if some team uh, let us have access to the resumes that are sent in whenever there's a coaching or a GM job. Because don't you think some random people end up applying? But those aren't like publicly posted. It's not like you can find <laughs> it on Indeed or something. <laughs> oh, I know. But wouldn't you love to like, it's, for sure, rando people are sending their resume saying I should be the general manager or I should be the head coach. Wouldn't you love to know who they are? I 100% that's happening. I'm just curious to think- know. Do you think... I'd love to know. Like, do uh, do do people apply for GM and coaches' jobs by sending in their resume to NHL teams? I think the answer like, is yes. Well, like, do you think Kyle Dubas had to like <laughs> bring his resume? Into, no, like, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Can you see him like setting up his like picking the font? Here's my CV. And, yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> See, but these are these are great stories to, to tackle in the off season when there's a little bit of downtime. I would love to know. Yeah, I yeah. would love to know. Like, how does? Because I think on Overdrive, I heard them ask once. It was so funny. They asked Kyle Dubas, like it was Jeff O'Neill who did it, and it was so funny because he just goes, "Kyle, like when you're hired, when take like your first day as the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, like." How do you get everyone's number? Like, do you have to like call up um, the other GMs in the league? Be like, hi, it's Kyle Dubas, like GM from the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> like, how do you get people's number? Do people just have your number? Do people know you? And it was so funny. And Kyle's reaction was like, what? No, I don't say like, hi, it's Kyle Dubas. I'm GM of the Maple Leafs. Like, 
But those are the little things. It's like, yeah. how do you get everyone's phone number? How do you get the job? How do you apply with a resume? Do they just right. look you up on elite prospects? Like, it's that's a good one, Ian. Yeah. That's a, okay. That's one to dig into. That's really so, that's that'd be fun. Put that into your holster, and uh, you could we maybe we'll do yeah. a joint story on that uh, in the off season. All right. But more yeah. pressing questions for the here and now, Haley. That is what multiple choice madness. Monday is all about. So here we go. We got some questions to uh, wrap up the show with, and then we'll open up uh, the hail bag for some questions. Let's start with this one, Haley. And we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes earlier this uh, this episode. I want to know what team deserves the uh, you know more respect from NHL fans this season. Like who's like just criminally underrated or underrespected as we sit here in the middle of March? Is it A, the New York Islanders, B, the Carolina Hurricanes, C, the Florida Panthers, or D, the somewhat surprising Minnesota Wild? Haley, who who deserves more respect? Yeah, I think it's a good question. Um, obviously, we talked about how the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, need a bit more love as the first overall team in the league, but I think there was expectation that Carolina was going to be good. Um I feel like I'm, you know, I think it could be Florida. I think it could be Minnesota, but I'm going to go with the Islanders just because they never seem to get respect, like even when they're good, when they're expected to be good. Um, There's just always something that people are saying like, oh, but they're boring. Oh, but they play this style. Oh, but they, like even Matt Barzell, like that goal, he was last week. That was disgusting. Like, I watched it so many times, slow-mo, like just like elite, elite hands. Um, it takes a lot of skill to pull something like that off. And, you know, I think, um, you know, they have J.G. Pajo, who um, I think he just got put on the COVID protocol list. Um, obviously, we're both big fans of what he brings to the table. Um, there's just a ton of good players on the Islanders, in my opinion. And um, I think that's a team that never gets the respect they deserve because people – have it in their heads that they play boring hockey. You know, they play that trap. Um, but that's how you win hockey games. And I'm sure that Islanders fans aren't bored watching them play. And uh, that Barzell goal wasn't uh, boring. So I'm going to go with the Islanders. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on a lot of levels. And I think part of it too, like Barry Trotch and Lou Lamorello, it's the equivalent of warm milk, right? Like it's just, <laughs> it's something, it's going to put you to sleep. But they're so yeah. good. They're so successful. And I think part of it too is it doesn't matter what the Islanders do they will always be the little sibling to the Rangers. Like, legit, it doesn't matter. They won four cups. It feels like the four cups that they won in the 80s are trumped by the 94 cup uh, from the Rangers. So I feel like there's always going to be that. But I will say the Florida Panthers. Uh, Haley, they're in the mix to win the President's Trophy. And Mm -hmm. this is a great story because – you look at them. Uh, Chris Drieger has been fantastic in goal. Bobrovsky's better than he was last year, and that's a good that's a good story. But but you look at them, and Jonathan Huberdeau and Sasha Barkov are having wonderful seasons that could elevate them into the conversation for the Hart Trophy at some point this year. That's how good they've been. Um, they, they've just been a really good team, and I think there's always a feeling in the back of your mind, ah, the Florida Panthers. And I think Carolina goes through this too when you're a non traditional hockey market. We get a little bit like snooty, right? As as like hockey fans in Canada and hockey fans in traditional markets where we're like, we yeah, but all these teams. Yeah, but, yeah, but. I'm telling you, the Florida Panthers are, I, I want a Florida-Tampa playoff series so badly because I think it would be great for, for hockey in the state of Florida. But I, I think the Florida Panthers are the team that deserves a little bit more respect. 
league-wide. Okay, on to question number two, Haley, in multiple choice madness, we're going to go to the position of goaltending. And as we look at the goaltending position right now, if I had to ask you, which goalie is having the most disappointing season to date? Is it A, Matt Murray, B, Braden Holtby, C, Carter Hart, or D, Carey Price with the Montreal Canadiens? So I'm going to go first on this one, Haley, and I don't think... Flor- uh, Philadelphia fans are going to like this. I think I'm going to go Carter Hart. And I, and I think the reason why is when Carter Hart came onto the scene last year, I think the feeling was we've done it. We have finally solved the goaltending problems that have plagued this franchise since Ron Hextall. It's been like 25 years, feels like 30 years since there was stability in goal in Philly. And guess what? Carter Hart this season, sub-900 save percentage, Haley. Uh, Like, all of his numbers are worse than Brian Elliott. And they've almost split the time. And as I look at the the metric that I always like to look at with goalies ahead of save percentage is that quality start percentage. And if you can get your quality starts north of 60%, you're having a golden season. Anything north of 70, it's like you're in the Vesna conversation. Carter, uh, conversation, Carter Hart. 46.7%. 46.7%. That means less than half the time he's giving them a quote-unquote quality start. And I just because mm-hmm. I think everybody thought the goalie issues in Philly were going to be solved, I feel like that that conversation's open, uh, opened up again. So I'm going to say Carter Hart. Yeah, I think this is a good one, and that's that's a great you know answer, Ian. I think... <sighs> The difficult one is, you know, Carey Price is the highest paid goaltender in the league. He's one of the higher paid players in the league. Obviously, you know, he's his save percentage is at nine nine oh seven. He has like a two point six two save percentage. So he's not at that, you know, elite elite level. He's not playing at the level we saw him where he took the Canadians, like you know, past the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they had a great playoff run. I mean, I would, and Braden Holpe hasn't really panned out in Vancouver, but I think, you know, just talking about expectations and and pay, et cetera, like I'm going to go with, with Matt Murray. I, I just think that, you know, he's, he's the seventh highest paid goaltender in the league. He's making, I mean, seven, seven, six million Ian, 6.25 million signed into this huge contract. Like it wasn't a bridge deal. Like it was like a, we believe that you can be a number one goaltender for us. We believe you can regain your form. So here's a massive whopping contract to do that. And he's at an 880 save percentage. Um, it's, it hasn't been great. Um, you know, you're talking about Joey Decord coming in and winning his first NHL game last night. Would Matt Murray have won that game? I don't know. Like it's the sends and this goes back to that conversation of, do you want an elite group in front of you? Do you want an elite goaltender? Like what are the sends going to do if they put all this investment in a rebuild, but they can't get saves. Um, and so I think Matt Murray, I would say Matt Murray right now for the short and hopefully not the long term for sense fans sake. But I mean, certainly, you know, you just think of the expectation and what everyone was saying when he first signed, right? Like everyone was so excited. I think a lot of people were cautiously optimistic. I think there was, you know, some there was some excitement in the fan base when that trade happened and it just and it just hasn't worked out. 
Okay, on to question number three. Haley, on the weekend, Bo Horvat of the Vancouver Canucks scored one of the ugliest goals you're ever going to see in uh, in the NHL, where it was like five or six guys were in the crease all around Oilers goalie Miko Koskinen. And a lot of people thought, even Dave Tippett, head coach of the Oilers, thought that play should have been blown dead. Here's the question, Haley. Should the Canucks, we'll call it the rugby scrum style goal, where everyone was you know, in around the blue paint. Should that have been allowed to count on Saturday? A, yes, it was a good goal, or B, no, the referee should have blown that thing dead. Yeah, I think it's always funny when we kind of get into these kind of things because remember last year in Ottawa when Colin White, like, headed, headbutted the puck in, and then uh, the other day, Johnny Goudreau kind of, there was two actually kick-ins um, with the Flames and Montreal games, and then obviously this Vancouver goal, um, I like, I'm curious your opinion on that, Ian, because for me, like, I don't really, I'm like a bad podcast host because I don't feel like a very certain way on either of it. I've seen some takes, um, when it comes to like kicking motions and stuff, it's like, if you can, you know, physically be on top of the goalie, like move their stick and it still counts as a goal. Like if you can make a goalie not be able to make the save because goaltender interference, nobody knows how that's called half the time. Why can't you kick a puck in or why can't you have this kind of scrum or why can't you have that? So I don't know if I, I just, I know this isn't specific to your question, but I just want to see some consistency. That's all I care about. I just want consistency across the board. Honestly, that's, that's all I want. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah. And by the way, we're going to tag this headline. This episode is going to be Salvian. I am a bad podcast host. That's how we're going to promo the episode. Uh So I, I don't know, Haley, because I think that that in that situation, I wish they had blown it dead. And, and, And it's not that like, I think the referee saw the puck the whole time, but you got to ask yourself. If there are four or five players in the blue paint at one time, then what's the point of having a crease, right? Like, at what, like, yeah. I don't think that you should have what we used to have back in the day where if a guy's skate lace was in the blue paint, they would blow it dead and call goalie interference. Like, that's going to the extreme. But this is also going to the extreme. I don't think you should be allowed to be, like, if you're an opposing player, you really shouldn't be in the crease, at any point, right? Like, other, like I just, mm-hmm. I guess I don't understand the point of the crease. That should be uh, a no-go zone. Like, I, maybe you should blow it down. I don't know. But I, I just felt like that was too messy of a goal to be scored. So I would have felt like that should have been blown dead. That would be my answer. Yeah, no, and I would agree with that. Yeah, like, and I mean, at the, and again, it goes to the, what I said about, you know, if you can physically stop a goalie from making a save. How's a goaltender supposed to be mobile in his crease when there's five people in it? Where is he supposed to go? What's he supposed to do other than just try his best to get a body in front? That's not yeah. what the goaltending position is supposed to be. So again, I just want some consistency. It's very, uh, it's very frustrating. All right. Uh, next question, Haley. Multiple choice madness. I want to know which individual player in the National Hockey League is having the best season that people are just not talking about League-wide, like on a national level, who deserves a little bit more love? And I, I, I pick one player per position. So there's going to be one defenseman, one forward, one goalie here. Is it A, Neil Pionk in Winnipeg? B, David Perron with the St. Louis Blues? Or C, Corey Pronman mentioned him earlier, Capo Kakinen, a terrific goaltender uh, with the Minnesota Wild. Who deserves 
a little bit more love. I'll go first on this one, Haley. I'm thinking it's David Perron. Like, David Perron is quietly having a huge season. Leads the Blues in scoring. Twenty, He's over a point a game, 29 points in 28 games. And what I think is really important to note is the Blues have been ravaged by injuries this year. In fact, I would argue the Blues have had more injuries and issues than any team in the league, right? Like they, uh, like they had Jaden uh, Swartz has been banged up. Robert uh, Thomas has been banged up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 missed uh, you know a whole bunch of guys. Bozak has been out I think for the whole year. They just got uh, Tarasenko back last week, and David Perron has been producing at an elite level at the age of thirty two. So for me, I think David Perron deserves a little bit more love league wide. Mm-hmm. You know, I would like to say um, Capo. Kokkinen, um, but Corey already did give him some love, um, you know, but I, I have been really impressed. He's only 24 years old. Uh, he, he's 11, he's 11-4 now. I mean, and I don't, like Corey said, I don't think there were that many people who would have predicted that this would happen. So um, he's been really impressive. But um, I'm going to I've been impressed with Neil Pionk. I mean, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm always a fan of a of a good defender, and I think he's uh, he's been playing really well for for Winnipeg. And I think the one thing that we see so much about the North Division is, you know, oh, is it or are all the North Division teams just bad? Or um, you know, there's only so much offense because the defense is terrible. And I think that you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no, and I'm gonna say Neil Pionk has been you know, he's not, no one's really talking about him and people are talking about how the defense in the North division is so terrible. So I'm going to go with Neil Pionk. He's, you know, he's already halfway to his career high numbers through 27 games here where he's at the halfway mark, I believe for the Winnipeg season, um, or, or just almost at it. Um, three goals, 23 points. Um, it's just been a good season for him. And again, um, with everything that people are saying about the North division's defense, I think, um, let's, let's give Neil Pionk a little bit of respect because it's not, not all bad. All right, last question, Haley. Last week, the NHL announcing a mega deal with ESPN, $400 million a year. And uh, as part of it, they said they're still going to have a secondary broadcaster. So ESPN gets the main deal. Someone's going to be the number two. Here's my question. Who should the NHL secondary broadcasting deal be with in the United States, Haley? Should it be A, a traditional broadcaster? So maybe they stick with NBC and that umbrella Maybe they go to Fox, CBS, et cetera. Or B, should they go to a streaming service only? Think YouTube, think Amazon, think Netflix, something like that. What do you think, Haley? Hmm. Oh, that's a really good question. The the thing that comes to mind for me when you're talking about the Fox or the CBS, like they have so many sports properties already that I feel like, I mean, it would be secondary deal anyways, but you just have to think that the NHL and obviously I love hockey. I work in hockey, but when you look at some of the, you know, rights deals that Fox and CBS have, like the NHL is going to fall really low on that priority list. I can imagine. Or on the other hand, maybe they could get some of their like really elite broadcasters on the NHL programming, which would be great as well. But, um, it could be really cool to see the NHL on a streaming service because that is new. I think when you talk about, how can the NHL tap into, you know, a newer fan base, a younger fan base? Streaming service is where it's at. So that could be really interesting. But I think the fear with that is that you're alienating the people 
like my dad, who don't understand how to use Amazon Prime and stuff. So I don't know. I think I don't want to be the person. I don't want to sound like a dinosaur. This is a tough one. Um, you go first. Yeah. What do you mean first? <laughs> you just went. Uh, so I, I, you know I what? didn't I, answer anything. I just yeah. said like, oh, I can't decide. You go. Yeah, and, but I think it's interesting because I think that as part of the ESPN deal, there is a Disney Plus component, right? Like there's going to be a streaming component. I know when you're watching The Mandalorian now, you're going to see some some hockey yeah. uh, rolling in there. I think it's time to go to the streaming service. I, I really do. Like like go in and, and the NFL has done a pretty effective job, right? They have certain Thursday night games that are available on Amazon. Like let's yeah. do this. Like let's go ahead and make the deal, cut the deal with um, – with an Amazon or a Netflix mm-hmm. or a YouTube, like that is absolutely the way it's going. And if you want, only just sign a two-year deal if you're if you're not sure where it's going to go. Yeah. I just I would be, I think I think they would be just making a big mistake if they only did deals with traditional broadcasting companies. Yeah, and I mean, respect my dad. He uses Netflix. He watches Disney Plus for The Mandalorian. So yeah, like I think people can figure it out. Um, but again, my only fear is, is that we've seen in the past when the NHL tries to do things differently, they try to go younger, they try to do something different. It hasn't always worked. So that's my only fear. Um, but streaming services are so big now, like even like everyone's on Netflix. Um, I watch a lot of my football and my UEFA, like my American and my football football Um I watch it all on zone or I watch it on the streaming service yeah. for UEFA, um, you know, UEFA or UEFA TV. So I watch a lot of sports on streaming services. I mean, I don't even watch things on, on TS. I mean, I do, I watch the TSN or the sports nut feed, but I watch it through my NHL.com app. So I think we're already almost there. So may as well dive right in. People are already watching on apps. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Okay, Haley, we're going to wrap up the show by opening up the hail bag. That is where uh, we take some some listener questions. And look, we'll, we'll take one here because we already kind of answered one with Corey Promo. Got one on Twitter here. And uh, this one comes in from Hatch Sauce. Haley Hatch Sauce writes into us and says, hey, since people are mad about the Tampa Bay Lightning using Nikita Kucherov and the Patrick Kane loophole, what do you think about this rule change? Uh, no salary cap starting on deadline day. So essentially just to uh, get people up to speed, if you're not familiar with the story, a few years ago, the, the Chicago Blackhawks did this with Patrick Kane. They put him on long-term injured reserve and it was kind of a loophole for them to add some salary. And then when the playoffs started, boom, Patrick Kane was ready to go. Looks like that's going to happen here with Kucherov. I, I Again, I don't know if there's something, if it's truly nefarious or it just happens to work out this way. But this tw- uh, person on Twitter is saying to us, Maybe they should get rid of the salary cap starting on deadline day. And then for the next season, you got to reset and go back. What do you think of that idea? Um, I think that would be absolute chaos. And then it's just, what's the point of the sal? I mean, that would just be madness. Can you imagine? Teams would probably just like, and is this like, is the salary cap just gone for the rest of the season after the deadline? So teams are just going to coast under the cap. And then they get to the deadline and then they can make whatever moves that they try to want to make, bring in all of the players and then just make a huge run. I mean, I just know. What's the point in having a salary cap right. at the beginning of the year then? Like, just get rid of the salary cap then. So, no, I, I think it's, you know, 
I think it's a good question and it's like fun to discuss, but no, 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 <laughs> I and wouldn't, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what you might be able to talk me into down the road and think of like the teams with the most cap space now. So like, I think Detroit is there, Ottawa is there and New Jersey. Trade some cap space. Yes. I think those teams should be allowed to trade not all of their cap space. Like I think New Jersey's got 18 million in cap space. I feel like if you just let them trade 18 million in cap space, then we're getting and and, and they <laughs> traded and they traded that to Vegas or Toronto. I feel like that's we're going back to the the big spenders. But wouldn't it be great if you're New Jersey and at, at the trade deadline you could move four million of your cap space to a contender? for a pick like that might be so worth it. So anyway, that that's something I would be open to. I just, I don't know. I think the salary cap is crucial. I think you could play around with it a little yeah. bit and I certainly wouldn't, uh, you know, do what that listener uh, suggested, but Haley, we'll have to leave it there. This has been a jam packed edition of the athletic hockey show. Hope you have a fantastic week, Haley, and we'll get you again uh, next Monday. Yeah. Thanks Ian. All right. And a reminder, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us here on this uh, Monday edition of the show. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review. We would love that. And if you're not a subscriber with us, uh, with us at The Athletic, you can get us for $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Scott Burnside, Pierre Lebrun, they're back in these seats uh, with Steve Levy on Wednesday's uh, two-man edition uh, of the Athletic uh, Two-Man Advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And maybe Steve Levy will be talking all about the ESPN deal with the NHL. And I'll be back with Sean McAdoo, Down Goes Brown, on Thursday.